Welcome everyone to Around the ACL. It's Michelle Thompson here with Anthony Ione and Trey Ryder. I had a fill-in last time and I'm pretty sure Jeff's coming after my job. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's been, he hosted last time we were on and he did, um, and he did ACL live with Anthony last night. He's like, he's getting the itch for it. Now he just, he loves all this, all this stuff. Now he's coming for all of our jobs. Coming for all of our jobs, not just me. <laughs> uh, no, but it was uh, um, fun to watch the show and not have seen it yet. You know what I mean? Like to be the actual viewer of the show. Like, oh, I wonder what they talked about. <laughs> so uh, great company. good job, Jeff. Uh, all right. So this this uh, episode, we are going to talk about the Pro Invitational, Spencer McKenzie's, and the Europe Open. We've got some news around the league and buy or sell. So all sorts of fun stuff to get into. Trey, I don't even know how you're awake, how your eyes are open uh, with your travel that you just came from. Like, when did you even get in? Yeah, so it was a nice – I spent 10 hours on a plane yesterday. So, oh, yesterday. Um, yeah, it was uh, – It was travel wasn't as bad on the way back. It was, it was hard. I think people usually say the opposite, but it was harder for me to adjust to going there than it was coming back. Because coming back, I had a direct flight that landed at uh, that took off at one o'clock Paris time that landed at four thirty um, Eastern time. So it was yeah. a direct flight. So then all I really had to do, and I'm a, I'm tired today, but I'm not like maybe yeah. I'll feel it in the coming days. But I'm I'm not feeling that jet lag. But like because all I did was stay up. I just said I'm powering through it. I'm staying up. I stayed up until like you know ten thirty at night. And then I went to bed and I got my full eight hours, woke up and I'm, you know, I feel a little bit tired, but I'm good to go. But getting out there, I had to go from West coast, California, all the way to Paris time, which is a nine hour difference. (laughs) That was, uh, that's tough. That was tough. The different, uh, so the difference in time is nine, nine hours because it's six hour different from East coast and then East coast to West coast is three. But uh, it was worth it. The final croissant counter was 13. I had 13 croissants. I had uh, plenty of uh, pan du chocolat as well. And uh, oh, okay. I mean, this just, uh, oh yeah, it was so good. Food, steak frites, you know, I mean, just forget it. It was, it was unbelievable. Was that a first time to, to Paris or even France for you? First time to Europe. Oh, okay, first time to Europe, period. Awesome. Yeah, so... Yeah. Um, you did some traveling as well, though. Yeah, you were in Greece. Yeah, same thing, nine-hour time change. So um, from from mountain, so from Colorado, so nine-hour time change. So I, I feel your, I felt your pain going that way. Uh, I got a day ahead of you, though. I came in one day ahead of you, so I've got an extra night of trying to, to acclimate. Um, but yeah, it's tough. It, it's tough. You, you got to make those decisions. Do I stay up? You know, you got to kind of strategically place when you're going to try and sleep so you can try and get back on as soon as possible. But, yeah, last night was still pretty rough for us. We, when was did you up get at, in? Um, let's see. It was Sunday night at like midnight. I got into Colorado Sunday at midnight. Yeah, Man. That's, yeah, I, yeah, I that's love a, the idea cool. of international travel. I don't know if I want to do it unless I'm on a, one of those planes <laughs> that you like sleep on and then have a week to get back. Like I want you like never, a lounger chair. You never regret, you know, uh, not getting business or first class until you're walking by that, those two sections on the way to coach yeah. and you're just like, 
Man, that looks yeah, really comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. I mean, exactly. it's uh, ten hours in a coach seat. I don't know. I might, I might have to talking with Stacy next time because I don't know if I could do that again. That was a lot. I know. Yeah, it's not for me. All right. Well, let's talk about the Pro Invitational first. Our winners were Kayla Batson and Kimberly Glass. In second place, Miranda Coy and Tony Smith. Um, oddly enough, the names that we predicted would be up there, not there. Same as last season. Um, so we're noticing kind of a trend with the Pro Invitational. The heavy hitters don't seem to get it done in this format for some reason. Um, but congrats to Caleb and Kimberly and really impressive to see what they did there. Uh, Trey, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think everybody just expected Jamie Graham and Cheyenne Bubenheim to come in and just take it, right? I did. I, I straight up said my hot take was they were going to dominate the whole thing. Um, I, I did that in buy or sell and uh, was was totally wrong there. They were anything but dominant. Um, and it, it was just it was it was a surprise to be honest with you. Um, boards were a little bit tacky, uh, which which definitely contributes to it. So we were kind of in this uh, no winds, but it was an open air building. Now the, the weather wasn't overly hot or overly cold. It was pretty beautiful the entire time that we were there. But you get that many people in this kind of like enclosed structure that that is open air. It got a little got a little muggy in there. It got a little bit humid humidity. So it was um, ultimately it slowed things down. And it was enough to slow it down where where Cheyenne and Jamie weren't affected. And I think it all the way goes down to the first round for Cheyenne. She had a big push to get possibly six points, and all of the bags bunch up in the yeah. hole. Nothing falls. And it ends up being a wash. And then the rest of the way, it, it really wasn't anything from there. I think ultimately that first round, not to be too dramatic, but I think ultimately that first round decided the entire pro invitational. I mean, you're taking on Caleb Batson and Kimberly Glass, a team that ends up winning the entire thing. If Cheyenne gets six out of the gate, could you argue that they hold on to win that? I mean, and, and that they're the ones that that ultimately get past that first round. They may not win the whole thing, but obviously we're talking about a different winner here. So um, I think that was one element that was super, super surprising. The other two that were, were fun to watch was um, how good was Miranda Coy? I thought she, yep. I, uh, you know, in her words, I think she put Tony in a backpack and carried him to the finals. So um, she was really, really good. And I think she's playing some of the best cornhole that she's ever played over these past two months. She's been really, really locked in playing at a very high level, uh, and excited to see what her 2024 brings, but she, she really played at a high level. And if Tony Smith plays anywhere close to how dominant he was during the season, I think they win the whole thing. Um, there was a couple rounds where he looked really good, but ultimately I thought Miranda is what the one that got them to the finals. And then finally, you know, I think it was a great decision. I found this out behind the scenes that Logan Chamberlain did the coin flip for Kimberly Glass and Kayla Batson to decide if they were going to throw BG bags or Viper R ultra bags. Okay. Ultimately, I know for a fact it wouldn't have gone the same way if they if, if that coin toss goes the other way. There is no way that Kimberly Glass was going to be as effectively throwing BG bags as well as she threw those Viper R bags and Kayla Batson looked like he could have got up there and thrown anything. Yep. So ultimately I think, I think uh, Logan Chamberlain needs a two to 5% cut of those, those winnings. If, if I say so myself. Okay. So 
Um, a big, huge coin flip there. But Kimberly Glass was the star of the show. I think there were a lot of ladies that stole a lot of the show in this Pro Invitational. And it was Kimberly Glass's airmails alone that propelled them to a victory. She was unconscious. I mean, I think I have to go back and watch and count, but I think she probably hit 85% on her airmails. I mean, and, and some of them were no hesitation. It was that bag landed and she just threw it and they were super aggressive airmails, which is, I haven't watched a ton of Kimberly Glass, but certainly not something I see very often from her in yeah. the limited number of games that I have seen, but she played fearless. She played at a high level and uh, ultimately got the win alongside Kayla Batson, a well-earned victory, not one that a lot of people pegged, but certainly one that was well-earned. Absolutely. Anthony, anything to add there? Yeah, I, th I think a little bit more on Miranda. She killed. She absolutely killed. Outscored her opponent in every single match. Led the field in DPR with a 1.43 and second in PPR only to Caleb Batson. So Miranda Coy, like you said, uh, she said that she carried uh, Tony Smith, which you, I, I don't hear that very often. Uh, I, I believe it. She, you know, she played really, really well. But you know, it really comes down to. Kimberly Glass, you know, if we're kind of looking at the matchups before going in, you know what to expect from a Caleb Batson. Uh, can Kimberly Glass keep up with that and hold her end of the board? She absolutely did. If you look at that first round, she outscored Cheyenne to get the win in the first round, but Batson absolutely dominated his side of the board. He put up 13 of the 17 points in that first matchup. <clears throat> and then you go to the second one. Kimberly comes in clutch. She's going against... Devin Harbaugh and outscores 10 to five. So she's running her side of the board and it's Batson who had to hold uh, Belvin who, who was throwing gas. She threw a 10.0 PPR. And if you look at the stats in this thing, teams are winning with 8.3s, you know, 8.4s. Those are the kind of numbers you have. So with Belvin coming in and throwing a 10, it was Batson who held her to a two to three score. Kimberly had to win her side of the boards and she did. And then if you go to the final, Batson just turned it on, you know, outscoring Tony Smith eight to three. He had a big six point spot in round nine going into that last round. And Kimberly held Miranda, who was throwing fire. She held her down enough to get that win. So really impressed with Kimberly Glass. I, I agree with you on the bag choice. Um, Caleb Batson is going to be able to throw anything. And he's shown in those matches he can still uh, shape shots. He was able to roll that that uh, that that R bag, that Viper R, just fine. And Kimberly able to handle the slow speeds on the board. I really didn't expect her to be able to do that. Um, you know, you really have to have the ability to flip over to the fast side and chuck a bag down there with speed to really push through the traffic. You were mentioning how uh, Cheyenne got clogged up. That's what you typically see a lot. They're not coming in extra hot, and you just get a lot of points that are left out there. So. Really impressed with Kimberly Glass. Uh, the airmail was key, um, and she came through to get the win. So that, it was really fun to kind of watch that drill down to the last match. She was worried about the sticky board. She said that when we interviewed her uh, on Bagging and Bragging. She's like, I was worried when I saw the boards were sticky, but she she did so well. And, and you know, with that and the Super Hole, I think she's hopefully getting a lot more confident on the broadcast stage. She should be. Uh, there's no reason not to be, but um, yeah, excellent. Work even, even in the women's singles world championship final against Cheyenne, she threw really well. I mean, she had Cheyenne on the ropes. Yep. I mean, Cheyenne, yes. you know, second half of the game kind of was, was what you expected from, from the best female in the world. But you know, Kimberly glass gave Cheyenne everything that she could handle and did it again here. And, you know, I don't think Kimberly glass is going anywhere. 
She has had some issues. I think she's got a little carpal tunnel. She was wearing a brace. So I'm just hoping as we go through this offseason and get ready for next year that if she has to have some type of surgery or recovery that it's no long-term effects on her because I certainly think there's no reason she can't be a top two, top three, top four female uh, throughout the entire next season. Agreed. All right, man. The, the Pro Invitational was not the only event. This happened at Spencer McKenzie's The Throwdown. Our winners there were Jay Rubin and Jordan Power. Second place, Mark Richards, Alex Hicks. And in third, Jamie Graham and Eric Davis and Devin Harbaugh and Ryan Windsor. That was really fun to watch. Obviously, Rubin and Power are always entertaining and seem to have some kind of magic under the lights, which I think is what I asked them when they they won the last one. I said, what's going on with the broadcast court with you guys? Uh, so um, it, interesting to see what's happening for their future with that said. But uh, awesome job to everyone there at Spencer McKenzie's Throwdown. Ventura is an awesome venue. Wish I could have been there this year. It's nice to be right next to the beach. And I believe was was Paris hot. So did you go from like nice cool temps to pretty pretty hot there? Uh, it was it, like so when we were there in Ventura, it was like the entire time it was like seventy four and not a yeah. single cloud in the sky. I mean, yeah. a slight breeze. I mean, it was literally perfect weather. And, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not a California, big West coast kind of guy, but like when I go over there, I'm just like, what I would pay to have this weather all the time. I mean, it was picture perfect. And then we got to Paris and it was 53 degrees. Oh, it was cold. Uh, it was freezing oh. for the first two days. And then when we got to over to the event, then it was 85 to 87 degrees. Oh and the one, if there's one thing that I am very glad to be back in the States for, I loved my entire experience in Paris, but you better believe I kissed my thermostat when I came back in here because they do <laughs> not believe in air conditioning in Europe. The venue yeah. that we were in, no air conditioning, 85 degrees outside. It was a little bit cooler inside, but like I was, I was, pretty sweaty the entire time I was in, I was in Paris. So no, no, it's supposed to be romantic. What's romantic about sweating? Well, the thing is it never gets that hot. I was talking to them and that's about 30 degrees Celsius. And they're like, we get maybe five days a year that are over 30. Oh, I mean, this was one of the things where it was just happened to be perfect timing. We got one of the hottest days of the year and that just is what it is. Most of the time it is in that mild and they all have heat because it gets cold, but they don't, you know, the air conditioning, they're like, why put in a central air unit when you're going to use it five days out of the year? Well, it just so happened we were there one of the five days. One of those five. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. But not Ventura. Ventura, you don't need AC. It's nice. No, it was, it was perfect. I had six burritos while I was there. I had two per day, one for lunch, one for dinner. Every one of no, 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 I didn't get sick of it. It's a, it's the best thing ever. And my last of the six was the burrito that I have been bragging about. So oh, you're John, custom, right? Didn't you like customize it? So just for those, just to make everybody hungry at home, the traditional burrito that he does really well is their grilled fish and shrimp burrito. That's got fish, shrimp, cabbage, and this Spencer's sauce, which is like a white sauce. Um, that's all, all packed in there. Um, and I think, uh, salsa uh, as well that he did all puts in there. And so that's his typical burrito. So he made me 
this special burrito that replaces the fish and shrimp with ahi tuna and then adds his fire sauce. So the fire sauce and the Spencer sauce combined is, is what he calls in his restaurant Brooklyn style, which is named okay. after one of his kids. So I had this burrito and I don't think I spoke for 10 minutes eating this thing. I was just like, <laughs> in a relationship. That Shelby, Shelby was there at that point. She's like trying to talk to me and I'm just not even listening. I'm just like in heaven eating this burrito. So um, food was absolutely amazing uh, as always. And, and uh, just, uh, man, aside from the cornhole, the cornhole was great, but what an atmosphere it was in, in really diving in and being a part of it this year in, in, in a more in-depth way and getting to see all the behind the scenes and understand last year was kind of like, let's just help you run the tournament this year. You know, uh, John's team does all the infrastructure, but get, uh, me being able to see a lot of the back behind the scenes stuff and interviewing John and letting him tell the story. And we shared the story on the broadcast that came out really well. Like it was a whole different level of experience and it was, it was so much fun to, to see and to be a part of. And, uh, you know, I just can't wait to see, you know, it's one of those things where it becomes an event that you look forward to doing every year now. And, uh, uh, I got my hat now, so I'm repping my, my new hat. Yeah. And, uh, but, but ultimately was just, a was, was so much fun to be a part of even, even aside from the great cornhole that we had. Which we did. I mean, Jay Rubin, Jordan Power, dominant. And I don't know if there's, much else you can say about their performance, but Anthony, what, what can you say about the event? Yeah, I mean, I kind of like to go through bracket by bracket just to get a good feel for those that weren't able to follow. So eight brackets were made up here. So you're going to have eight bracket winners that go into a, uh, essentially a bracket playoff to get down to your final four to go to TV. Bracket A, we had Jamie Graham and Eric Davis never gave up double digit points to get to the bracket final until the final. So they were cruising throughout the day and it was Ryan Smith and Ryan Wiedenfeld that met them in the final. A close one. They they got 18 to the 21 points. So a little swing there. We could have the Ryans actually in the uh, in that bracket final. Tough bracket there. You had Alex Rawls and Chris Kingsbury coming in third. Adam Hisner and Cody Henderson coming in fourth. So a bit of a stacked bracket there. Um, bracket B. You had Alec Ryan and Caden Allen coming out of that bracket, but having to come out of the loser side. How about AJ Sims and Braden Wilson taking the king seat in that one, Trey? What were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a testament to maybe what we see this coming year. Yes. I mean, that was that was the first glimpse to see them, and that was a great prep and a great preview of what we could see this year. Yeah, so for those that didn't catch it, AJ Sims now going to be partnered up with Braden Wilson going into next season. The the prodigy, the eleven year old who just absolutely kills it, takes a king seat at Spencer's, but ultimately get double dipped by uh, Ryan and Allen. And then we go to bracket C. Here's where we got Mark Richards and Alex Hicks. Never gave up double digit points also until the bracket final. Another close one, real similar to bracket A. You got Kyle Malone and Jimmy Humans getting to 18. So that was a 21-18 win. Really close there also in that bracket. Tubby and Tice Cobb coming in in third. And a surprising Smith and Hunter Thorne taking seventh. They lost to Gilbert Gonzalez and Dotson Dolan. I never, I never would have, I never would have guessed that. But again, it's Spencer's. Anything can happen. Um, bracket D. We got the Gore Boys coming out of uh, out of that bracket. Um, they knocked Brooks and Pear down and out. 
Uh, we're talking about Brooks and Pear, who have been really successful in this tournament in the past. So that's the kind of uh, competition they had to get through. Um, they did give up one game in the double scoop, so it did come down to the second game of that one. Bracket E, the winners, the ultimate winners, uh, Jason uh, Jay Rubin and Jordan Power get that one. Uh, King and Trzinski. We're seeing Derek King showing up again, a guy that you know just doesn't really show up in singles but kills in doubles. Here he is in a bracket final at Spencer's. They get the first scoop of that one, so there's another bracket that goes to the second scoop of a double dip. Um, how about Labrador and Williams taking third in that bracket, repping Cali uh, at Spencer McKenzie's? Grindersleeve Batson, some of the favorites we thought coming into this one, ended up taking fourth in that bracket. And then you got Camba and Baldwin. So that was a pretty stacked bracket uh, as well in E. F, just, uh, Justin Burton Jr. and Logan Chamberlain taking down F. Um, and then we have this Dawson Cummings. Is anybody familiar with Dawson Cummings? I keep seeing his name pop up. He's in the finals with Ryan Trader. 18 to 21. So they were really close on that one. Do you guys know anything about this Dawson Cummings kid? Heard the name, but don't know. Anything. Yeah, heard the name. No, he no, he plays in the the Midwest, and no, he was very close to being to qualifying to be a pro. I think he was right outside that that qualification range for for being an ACL pro in open standings. Yeah, I have to keep an eye out for him. Bracket G, you got Ryan Windsor and Devin Harbaugh. Um, a couple names making the final. So if you kind of look at all the brackets, this is really the only unknowns, if you will, that make a bracket final. And that's Brody Ferreira and Gino Gio Mora. We've seen those names, specifically Gino Mora. I've seen that name a couple times. Um, but there's kind of your first unknown making a bracket final. Jeremy Shermerhorn and Joe Neistat in that bracket take third. The Sasweta brothers taking fourth. And you have Stranger and Reynolds uh, taking fifth. So that one was pretty stacked as well. And then Fisher Hamilton and Gavin Cano um, come out of the 29th seed to double dip Birchfield and Rawls, who took the king seat. Um, so, you know, Hamilton and Cano continue continue their reign. I think they're going to be crazy tough in 2024. Um, but we get down to those final four. You got Harbaugh and Windsor versus Hicks and Richards. This was probably the best match, I think, out of all of them. Uh, big swings, lots of big airmail, just a lot of traffic uh, in the front of the board. And that's what's fun about outdoor play is you get a lot more airmail just because sometimes it's too sticky to kind of get the rolls working and, and you see players going more to the airmail. Um, I got to say, what do, you, what do you guys think about Alex Hicks coming off of that broadcast, that doubles broadcast where he didn't fare really well? I thought he played awesome in the singles what were you guys thoughts on alex hicks yeah yeah i i agree i thought he really redeemed himself and he really played at a high level and hit some big shots uh just had some bags bunch up and end up kind of a little bit errant in the finals but it didn't seem something that was um that, that was a problem or it was it was a trend it was more of just like hey you play the odds you're gonna miss some bags here and there and ultimately you know ruben and power were just too good but i was yes very, very excited and also relieved to see Hicks kind of redeem himself and play at a high level on the broadcast court. I was surprised I think, he didn't roll as much, though. Like, I kept waiting, like, the shots he would normally roll, he was airmailing. Uh, and, and I think he eventually, towards the end, rolled a couple. Um, but I, I was surprised to see that change in the game. Yeah, it might have just got know. too – it just might have got too gunky, you know, where – That's what I'm Yeah, yeah weren't doing it as much right right um yeah that the we just didn't get the the graham davis reuben power match that we wanted right i mean it was uh 21-0 um 
Power was cooking, though. I got to give Power some credit. He put 22 of 24 bags in the hole in that matchup, threw an 11-3-3, which if you look at all the numbers is absolutely insane uh, with just how slow the speeds were. But he was down the middle. He was down the middle. He was hitting the shots. He put up 18 of the 24 points in the 21-0 win against Graham and Davis. So, And he continued to cook through the finals. Um, you know, Richards and Hicks just couldn't get it going. They were down big early, 11-0. Um, Hicks missed two airmail. Richards missed a push, and then hit, and then Richards was right on two bags. And all of a sudden, those five misses, they're down 11-0 because Ruben and Power were cooking. And then at 20-0, you're like, I think it got to 20-2 even. And we're like, this is really going to happen. Uh, yeah. Is this really going to you know, flip the switch? And then maybe Mark Richards gets his revenge on that comeback. Were you feeling like that was even possible, Trey? Yeah, we, we actually talked about it on the broadcast. I believe they got up to like 20 to 7 or 20 to 8. And then we're like, oh, wait a second. I mean, it was it was kind of trending in that direction. But, you know, we kind of just joke about it at that point. But because um, it's just so hard to do. It, it requires a certain level of circumstance and, and run to be able to pull something like that off. But we were thinking about it. How about the how about the uh, the fans? kind of turning on power a little bit. Did you see them razzing him, you know, when he was, you know, cause he's kind of given, he's given the crowd a little, you know, he's shushing yeah. the crowd and when he would miss, they were letting him have it. They were letting him have it. I was loving that. What was the Look, vibe like? Exactly that. And you even see it in social media. Now people like to tear down Jordan power and say, you know, ride the coattails, blah, blah, blah. He's not that. I mean, the dude knows how to win. I, I don't know. I don't know how else to put it. I don't care that he's playing with Jay Rubin. I mean, Jay Rubin could have played with Mark Richards or Tony Smith and not won. I mean, how many times do these two super teams not win? You got to know how to yep. win, right? I mean, and I think there's an element of some people want to beat Jordan Power so bad that it takes them out of their focus. And that's why they don't play as well. And there's an element to that. He does that. He does that to people on purpose in a way. And the crowd doesn't like it and blah, blah, blah. But hey, you know what? The dude knows how to win. <laughs> I tell you what, the way it ended though, I really wanted the the airmail drag. Jay Rubin had a bag in his hand, yeah. airmail drag to win it, gets gored. He hits the airmail and the drag back, that thing stood up straight to win it and it just stopped. And I was like, that would have been the best way to cap off that tournament uh, for Jay Rubin, but ultimately they get the win. But I really wanted it to end you there. Can't, you can't say gored, now you're grouping Jackson into that stat. That's oh not yeah, he got gored. <laughs> i feel like i feel like the mean gore girls reference stop trying to make fetch happen stop trying to make gore happen <laughs> oh man i'll try anything to add before we move on the news around the league uh just a, another incredible experience and 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 really just can't wait to get back next year yeah me too I, the one event that's the closest to home and i've missed two out of the three so I don't know what's going on with Spencer McKenzie's and me. Hey, one last thing. Power Ruben, Morellis Fagan getting the crew cup. So Power Ruben double dipping in a couple categories. Yes, that's pretty huge. That's true. And everyone then rallying for crew cup to come back. <laughs> <laughs> I hate crew cup. I will not speak about crew cup. I will tell you, as, okay, I feel like this is a great example because I was home watching this. I'm also obviously a huge fan of cornhole and watching crew cup on TV is difficult. It's just not that fun to watch. And I'm a huge Cornhole fan, obviously. So if it's hard for me to watch, I can only imagine what it's like for someone that's like, what W2F is going on here? 
Like, I'm so lost. I will not disagree with you, Michelle. I will not disagree with you. Yeah, but can we go back to doubles? Like, I, I'm, I'm over this. Um, I kind of, like, checked out. So I just need to put that out there for everyone to hear. You can hate me for it, but I got a back tray on this one. Um, all right, so news around the league. Let's talk about some of our new pro teams. We have uh, Mark Richards and Tony Smith, the super team. Frank Monlin and Jamie Graham, Jacob Trzynski and Tanner Halbert, Alex Hicks and Ryan Trader, Sammy Soto and Jackson Gore, Hunter Thorne and Jacob Gore, AJ Sims and Braden Wilson, Jeremiah Ellis and Ryan Hart, and Austin Cameron and Vincent Frisch. So uh, just a little bit of time here, Trey, just if you want to add some thoughts before we move on to the Open for Europe. Yeah, I think there's there's two teams I want to just highlight there real quick. There's a lot of new teams, a lot of people to talk about in the offseason. Um, Mark Richards and Tony Smith, our biggest super team maybe ever. I mean, yes. you can talk about Jamie Graham and that guy. I think that kind of set the set the tone. Yep. Um in retrospect, seeing Trey Birchfield and Alex Rawls get together at the time should have been viewed as equal a super team, but we just didn't know what Rawls had yet, right? So that that was, you know, one that was interesting to watch. Um, but really, when you talk about super teams, I think two players at the, the, the top of their game, top of the world, pairing up together, and we really haven't seen something like this in any way, shape, or form since Matt Guy, Jamie Graham. I can't wait to watch it. I have no idea how it plays out in dynamics. I think it can be really, really good, but I I just don't know how the Mark Richards, how how Tony Smith will play with Mark Richards. To me, Mark Richards does a great job of putting himself in a box, and it doesn't matter what else goes around it, right? And if he's he's gonna be pretty consistent no matter what. We've seen him win opens, we've seen him win now the you know, go all the way to the finals of the Spencer McKenzie's. He knows how to play with other players, right? But Tony Smith, we've talked about this before. Michelle knows this. He can be a little bit left, right, up, down. And when he gets in a groove, he's unbeatable. But he's got to get there. So I'm interested to see how this partnership goes. And if there's one other one I want to highlight, Frank Maudlin and Jamie Graham. This is a very interesting one to me. Uh, I personally think that, um, you know, I don't think they're going to have any problem with bad chemistry. Jamie Graham won a world 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 championship throwing game changers. They'll throw a game changer evolution. So I really don't think there's going to be any any issues there whatsoever. I think they'd actually be pretty successful there. My question is, can Frank Modlin play at that next level? Jamie Graham wants to win world championships. He just won a singles world championship. If he's going to compete at that level in doubles, I need to see an elevation in Frank's game. Now, the good news was when they played in 2020 – Frank was a perfect kind of Jordan Power partner supporting system. He did enough to get them there at the end. But I need to say a high, I see a higher level play from Frank. So it's just going to be a fun team to watch as we go into 2024. I didn't think Jamie would ever leave fire. So this is a very interesting if he's going to go in the Frank Maudlin direction there. Uh, all right, Anthony, anything you want to point out before we move on? Yeah, kind of feeding off the Richards, Tony Smith, um, you know, partnership. I think actually Mark Richards makes Tony Smith a better player. Um, I think that, you know, his calming kind of demeanor, his IQ from the other side of the board might actually focus Tony Smith a little bit. Um, we've seen Tony Smith, uh, you know, he's so dominant that he can get away with kind of getting crazy a little bit for a round or two, trying some really high difficult stuff. Um, but I think Mark Richards kind of uh, lines that a little bit better. So I think they're going to be even tougher with with Mark Richards bringing out the best in Tony Smith. 
Maudlin uh, Graham, I was a little salty last night with that one. Um, I, and, and it goes down to what, what Trey was saying is we're talking about a guy, Jamie Graham, who is the only two-time singles world champion. He's the reigning world champion, finished number three in the world, and he's partnering up a guy that we're questioning, can his partner match that elite level play? Jamie shouldn't shouldn't have to. Sh- Jamie should be teaming up with a partner who already is an elite level player. So I'm a little I'm a little like confused on that partnership. You know, there's a, a Devin Harbaugh that was possibly out there. We saw Tanner Halbert, um, you know, who was who was uh, and Jacob Trzinski, who revealed last night as well. Both were available. So a little a little suspect in that one. Um, but I just kind of wanted to I looked a little salty, but. Uh, I really felt like Jamie Graham deserves someone who's already playing at an elite level, um, who's evolving the game like he is, and who kind of matches stylistically. They're going to be different stylistically. I agree with uh, with Trey that they're going to find bad chemistry. Now, when we go back to when Jamie Graham won with the with the game changers, the game was different. That you know the, the the skilled shots has has increased significantly. So I'm actually really excited to see if Jamie Graham can come out and show the world that a patch style bag can still shape shots. And if he can, uh, I think that he'll be pretty deadly. Moving into the Europe Open, our singles winner there, Tony Smith, doubles Jimmy Humans and Brady Foster, Sweet 16 singles, Matu. Sweet 16 doubles, Goonie and Thomas. And then our pro invitational was Jimmy Humans and Bruno. So I'm avoiding last names for everyone's sake. Um, I'm not an international speaker. <laughs> and then we're going to leave it at that. <laughs> Trey, your thoughts? All right. I have so much to talk here. So, Anthony, you can go take a nap. because Yeah, got let, it these, rip. I let got, it rip. I, I, I got all this stuff. So it was uh, – it was an incredible experience, top to bottom, um, just being able to experience all of the different cultures um, and to see what Cornhole is growing into and to see how much uh, what we do here in the United States means to these guys. I mean, I can't tell you how many people, when they see Frank Modlin walk in the building, Frank Modlin is a superstar. He is he is the rock star of Cornhole when he walks in that building. And seeing Tony Smith and seeing all these different play people – I've seen you on YouTube. I've seen you on Facebook. Like I've seen you playing and them to get to experience it one-on-one was incredible. Um, couple, couple quick things. First from a talent perspective, the French are legit guys. Um, yeah. I don't know how else to say it. So right now what, what all of Europe needs to take the next level of their game to is getting that wrist turnover that Nancy likes to. to talk about. Right. And that's going to allow them to shape shots. Yes. However, not everybody has to be has to do that in order to be successful. If you look at Damon Dennis, Damon Dennis has been successful and he continually is up there because he's so le- deadly on the slide shot and he's so deadly on the air mill. What I see from some of the Frenchmen, uh, specifically Mathieu Ribot and Bruno Bacquier, those two in particular are nasty. Bruno, they call him Mr. Airmail over there. I am not kidding. He is airmailing at an above average, maybe just short of elite level airmailing. And that's not an exaggeration. I'm not, I'm not blowing smoke there. Airmail wise, he's at that top level. I watched him throw a game in doubles where he went seven for seven in airmails and he threw an 11.1 PPR. Okay. Unbelievable. Now, is he consistently doing 
that is right. consistently hitting that PPR? No. And that's what the difference is right now. So Bruno and Matu, in particular, they're probably the two best players in Europe right now. And what they specialize in is sliding a lot of bags in. Now, the problem is if they go, there are some times when they go a little bit left, a little bit right, and that's where we get these lower PPRs. However, at the high end, they can contribute. So you got to watch out for Bruno. You got to watch out for Metu. Um, other team, other things that I w- was really cool. I had a chance, and he's going to love this, and I'm going to tell this story. But I met Felix von Ruder from Germany. He says he works in a vineyard. And he plays cornhole once a week at his club. But when he's in the vineyard, picking grapes, smashing grapes, doing everything in this vineyard, he passes the time listening to podcasts. And he says his favorite podcast is around the ACL. And that is his dream. That's awesome. It is his dream to be talked about on the show. So we are (laughs) – so, Felix, this is your your shout-out here. he was really good. I saw him play at a really high level on the broadcast court for Team Germany. Again, a little bit of a downward tilt bag, but when he was on it, he was hitting big shots, hitting some big airmails. Two top females that were so fun to, to experience. We saw uh, Kata and we saw uh, Maria Belats, sisters from Croatia. Maria beats Trey Birchfield straight up. What? Let's go. Beats Beats Trey Birchfield straight straight up 21 to 5. What? Wow. Okay. Threw an above 9.0 PPR, was getting around bags, had a little bit of a reverse cut going, um, was pushing through, getting around, had a timely airmail. Again, consistently, no, not going to beat Trey Birchfield every single time. She played him again. He beat her 21 to 1, right? However, when you get those one-off instances, the players across Europe are playing at a really high level. Both Maria and uh, Kata, who won the women's singles event, incredibly passionate about the game. One other quick story. They have a Wednesday night blind draw that they play outside. Okay? No money to enter. However, first place gets a slab of prosciutto. Second place gets a wheel of cheese. And third place gets a bottle of wine. That's, no. that's their that is their weekly blind draw system. I said, Kata, we need to take this. This is we this is what we need to do here in the states because this is amazing, absolutely amazing. Um, awesome. What kind so of many, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I, it doesn't matter. I love cheese. So, um, <laughs> but ultimately, it was so fun. Ton De Vries, who is our ACL Europe director and the WCO director in Europe. Um, has done an incredible job. Germany now has over 450 players playing on a regular basis um, in, in established clubs. They're, they're growing at a rapid pace. There were 17 countries that were in the event. Um, nice. So it, it was an incredible experience. Jimmy Humans continues his domination in Europe, um, which I love you know, to see that he's becoming a face over there. There's so many different names and Charco helping. And I had a, I had a broadcast buddy in Koss. So Koss is, you know, the Wally of. That was of, so uh, fun to listen to, by the way. Like just the, the accent. I was so entertained just listening to him. He was so much fun to, to, to hang out with and talk about. And he, you know, just like Bernie and Wally, we started going off the rails. We're talking about all these different things, but it was, it was interesting to hear. Ultimately, um, 
an experience I'll never forget, uh, just being a part of it. And there's so many people I just want to talk and, and shout out. I'm not going to get them all, so I'm not even going to try. But um, there there was a number of different European players. And even, in, you know, and the one thing that's exciting is the last part here, last little thing I'll add is what was very special about that Sweet 16 singles event is essentially they took the top 16 singles players and the top 16 doubles teams via the European standings, and they had a single elimination tournament. The winners of each of those tournaments, the prize was an all-expenses-paid trip to America to compete in an ACL event. So Mathieu Ribot, who is going to be interesting because he doesn't speak any English. So when he shows up, he's going to, you know, it's going to be interesting. This is what Mathieu knows. Good job. Airmail. Push. Like it's like he knows all the cornhole terms, but um, we're good. We all know. speak the same language then. <laughs> so uh, you know he won an all expenses paid trip to play in singles, and then uh, Guni Reitz and Thomas Schwartz uh, from Germany they also won a trip to come compete in America. So I don't know which event yet. They have to work and, and see which event would be best for them to come to, but they're going to get the opportunity of a lifetime and the opportunity for them to see American cornhole and for. For, for people to, to really unite the world and that, and that passion for the sport. So the sky is the limit for growing, um, for growing cornhole. And I, I, I personally just can't wait to get back and I'm, I'll hopefully go to the European championship uh, again next year. Very cool. Anthony, did you need to add anything in there? To yeah, cover? just on, on the double side, uh, I actually didn't catch any of that one um, on the double side. How did the, okay. So who did Tony Smith partner up with? He played with Mike Hennessy. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, you know what's funny, though? They had a, the Pro Invitational. They had all of the European players play in a qualifying event to get into that eight. And then they had all the American players. Tony Smith, there were only 15 Americans there. He did not finish in the top eight of the Pro Invitational in singles in order to qualify. Huh. He, let's say they had some fun in Paris the night before. Yeah, they, yeah, they yeah. yeah. Up there a little bit slow. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Hunter Thorne teamed up with who? Yeah, Hunter Thorne played with – so it was Jimmy Humans and Brady Foster in doubles. Hunter played with Trey Birchfield. Okay. And then Frank teamed up with who? Frank Maudlin, I don't believe, played doubles. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, I don't think he played doubles. Yeah, the reason why I'm asking how those laid out, because it's it's Jimmy Humans and Brady Foster that come out on top. So, I mean, Jimmy just continues to show how good of a doubles player he is. And Brady Foster came on my radar about halfway through last season. Uh, I haven't seen the final pro roster. Did he end up making pro or is he? Yes. He is a pro. Okay. He definitely is a pro caliber player. So um, watch out for that Brady Foster kid. I was really impressed with what I saw with from him. Jimmy Humans is a Jimmy Humans is a free agent. I don't know if there's a is that a thing? They just won the European Open. Maybe they maybe they run it. I think Brady Foster's already got a partner. I think he's playing with maybe gosh, I'm gonna say this incorrectly. He might be Steve Dereiki. Okay. Maybe okay. I might have made that up. Uh, if I, I, I shouldn't even throw him out there. Let's get him going. I know it was announced. He is an announced partner. So it's not that I gave any information. It's just that I may have given the wrong information, which is probably worse. So. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. Moving into buy or sell. Uh, first one, Europe will be on par with the U.S. in Cornwall by 2026. Gives them a few years. Buy or sell. Yeah, tw- 
2026, I'm going to say top-level talent, I'm going to buy it. When you talk about some of the best players in the world that we're talking about now, how long have they been playing? Three years right now, some of these best players? Now, Jamie Graham's been playing forever, but you give them another three years from right now, the top-level players will be there. If you're talking about from overall depth, no, you won't be able to match what we're doing in here in the United States in that short amount of time. So I'll, I'll buy it in the fact that some of the top players are going to match it. All right. Anthony? Yeah, so I'm looking at that as uh, like where I feel like where we were at in 2018 um, and if, if anybody who was part of the bag boom, that's when the, the game changer first came out. So kind of put yourself in that time frame. If you look at the style of play then to now, there's your five years because I feel like Europe's about two years in. So they're going to have to come a long way um, to catch up. I mean, you know what we've done with the game since 2018 and what we're seeing these uh, these pros do now is going to be a huge accomplishment. Like Trey said, we got to start seeing these Europeans get that pinky up and that's really going to change the game for them technically. Um, I'm actually going to sell on that one. Uh, I'm going to sell on that one. It's going to take more. It's going to take time. Frank Maudlin and Jamie Graham will be more successful in 2024 than they were in 2020. Buy or sell. Yeah, it's interesting. I went back and looked at how they did in 2020. They made a lot of Final Fours, but they didn't win a ton as a team. And it wasn't that COVID year, so it was a little bit different format. I'm actually going to buy that they'll be a little bit more successful this year. I think they get one or two wins under their belt across the shootout, open, and national series. Dude, I, I think they'll have the same level of success maybe that Mac guy Jamie Graham had when they first announced. No, but I still think they'll be better off than they were in 2020. All right. Anthony? going to sell. Um, <laughs> I think I think their best opportunity is going to be the shootout series. Uh, we've seen Frank Modlin have success in that, as well as Jamie Graham. Uh, they, they're both really successful in that. I, I just don't see it. And only because of the way that the game has evolved and what we're seeing with the new incoming talent, that the talent pool is so deep, that type of play really does counter a Frank Modlin's game really well. Um, Frank's going to have to evolve and, 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 and improve his game to be able to counteract that. So I'm going to sell. I'm going to sell. Tony Smith and Mark Richards will, will be the best super team ever created. Ever. Ever. <laughs> so, and I know, and, and it's not best team ever, right? Because Caleb Batson and Andy Grindersleeve, I don't know if we'll ever see a, a season like they've had this year. Um, no they can be better than Matt Guy and Jamie Graham. That is such a freaking hard question. Um, I'm going to say yes. I'll buy it. I say they'll win a world championship at some point. Um, I'm also, if this first year doesn't go well, the other thing you got to keep in mind, they're not going to stay together. So it's a really tough call. So I'm going to buy it. And, and I'm not super confident in that answer, though. <laughs> Anthony? I was thinking the same thing. I, I, I'm on the buy side. Um I'm not buying it with like max confidence, but what we do know is those two guys stood out from the rest of the field significantly um, just in, in their level of play consistently all season. We saw some players turn it on to the back of season, which really helped jump them up in the ranks, but just consistency wise, they really stood out and now they're together. They're going to be beasts. They match up stylistically. Uh, bags aren't going to be a problem. I think they work really well together on the boards, uh, just chemistry wise. I think they touching all the points, all the points that you want to hit. They're hitting them. Um, they're going to be dangerous. I'll buy it. Jay Rubin and Jordan Power splitting is a mistake. 
So theoretically, yes, a mistake. I think when you've won so much, you can't do that. Unfortunately, there's probably extenuating circumstances. I think it's one of those things where Jay Rubin may be leaving and Jordan doesn't know, so he doesn't want to not commit to a partner and it becomes this really tough situation for everybody. So um, if we're just going from the theory of it, like the idea that they may be splitting apart, I think that is a mistake because they just have so much success. I don't care if they're up and downs. When you've won as much as they had, you, you can't break that up. So I'll buy it. Anthony? Yeah, I, I agree. I think splitting up is a mistake. Uh, what's so weird is is if we look at the middle of the season, it wasn't a mistake because it just wasn't working. Um, you know, if you watch these two play, you know, it, uh, it, it just feels like there's a lot of resistance in their communication and how they're working. But then they ultimately get it done at the end of the season and back-to-back -back seasons. I mean – World champs, shootout champs, special champs. I mean, you're hitting all the big stuff. So it has to be a mistake, um, but I get it. I get why why the split up is happening, uh, but you're having that success and that much money. I mean, count, what is it, 90 Gs in the past a month or two? So yes, that's a lot of that's a lot of cheese. So I'd have to say it, it's a mistake, but I get why it's happening. All right, rapid fire. Michelle will not be able to keep up with Trey in Disney this weekend. Big facts. Oh, Disney? Bye. <laughs> Michelle and I are going. I'm taking Michelle and Rome and Nick. We're all going to Disney. We're getting oh, the, no, we're Trey, the tour. Trey's a Disney expert. There's no way you're going to keep up with that. <laughs> all right. Hot takes. You got one, Trey? Yes. Uh, Kata and Maria Belatz, their first tournament that they play in America. One of them finishes top five in women's singles. Ooh. Okay. Anthony? Um, let's go to the two reveals from last night for a hot take. We had Jacob Drzinski and Tanner Halbert, a really odd pairing of Frank Modlin and Jamie Graham, which if you kind of look at it, a lot of history, it makes sense as a pairing. I'm going to say that Jacob Drzinski and Tanner Halbert finish ahead of Modlin and Jamie Graham at next Ooh. season. And mine is, I ha I think that AJ Sims and Braden Wilson could do something like an Eddie and Caleb in terms of chemistry. Um, so maybe not this season, but if they stay together, I think they could have that same kind of vibe that they do. So that's my hot take. All right, guys, we are out of time. So we'll see you guys next time. Thanks so much for joining us.